Aloha, I'm Marcia Sortino. Welcome to Pay Radio, talk radio worth listening to. To all our regular listeners, thank you for coming back. To all our new listeners, congratulations. You just discovered one of the most powerful talk radio shows there is. As we get ready for this class, I suggest you find something to take notes with. Every show is packed with all sorts of inspiring, insightful ideas, ahas, and breakthroughs. While you find some paper and a pen, I wonder, how many people do you know are paid to learn, then paid to teach what they learn? I'll put that another way. I'm both a student and a teacher of Pay Me What I'm Worth. By the time I complete my class as a student, the money I'm paid to teach Pay Me What I'm Worth will cover what I paid Seoul University, and then some. At the end of our class, I'll tell you how to become a paid student and teacher for this life-changing journey. It's time to meet my class. We decided to be collectively known as Team Seekers. Here they are. This is Cindy Ashline from Slingerlands, New York. Thank you for joining us on our radio show. I hope that you will be inspired by what you hear today. Kyle Davis, Lewis in Maine. Hey, everybody. Green Mays, and I am from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. This is David H. Paul from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hello, Chris Peters, and I'm from Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. Rick and I live in Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha. This is Cheryl from Hawaii. And finally, Aloha. Soul here, author of Pay Me What I'm Worth and Marsha's co-pilot on this journey. I hope we've given you enough time to grab a pad of paper and a pen to take notes. Our class starts now. To set the framework for our class tonight as we get into our exercise where we are actually peering into our crystal ball. Tonight we talk about how luck is actually a matter of planning. And in this final step in our timeline exercise, I'm going to frame tonight's discussion by two quotes. The first quote is by someone I'm sure you all have heard of, Henry David Thoreau. And he says, Our truest life is when we are in dreams awake. Our truest life is when we are in dreams awake. Henry David Thoreau. To help bookmark and bookend that quote, I'm going to give you a little sneak preview of what's in Chapter 7 on page 127 at the top of the page. I ponder this notion. As dreams die, so does the dreamer. How soon do we all pay for just one lost dream? What we're going to be talking about tonight taps into the dream world, doesn't it? Yes. I'll never forget the utter horror your team captain stared at as we approached this segment in her role in Team Clarity, was mortified when I asked 
everyone to give me three minutes of their dream day. Give me a three-minute detailed visualization as if you were a playwright or a script editor or a copy editor or someone pitching a movie to a high-ranking studio official. I want a pitch that's so vivid I can touch it, I can taste it, I can feel it, I can smell it. Three minutes of your dream day, and there's a certain person on this call that went, holy crap! (laughs) (laughs) Was that me? (laughs) No! No, Masha! I thought I did pretty good. (laughs) You did? After you finally bust loose of your fear, do you remember how afraid you were of this request? I recall that it was something that everybody else was prepared to do, I think, except for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when I busted loose explaining my dream day, it just came out like crazy. <laughs> yeah, 20 minutes later, she's finally getting done with her three-minute synopsis. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as we get into this last step of our worth timeline, any ideas why I suggest you gaze into your crystal ball? You plan out the next 10, possibly 20 years of your life. Anybody want to take a stab at why I throw that out there? Planning. Mm Mm-hmm. First thing is being able to look at a bright future for ourselves. Maybe so that we can visualize it and get it in our minds to draw it closer to us. Yes. Yes, exactly. So you can align your vibration with it. Yep. Yep. Keep going. Keep going. It's also to see where you've been and to see where you can go. Mm-hmm. There's also a more, what's the word I'm looking for? Insidious. You're reading my mind, Rick. You are absolutely Uh, reading my mind. I was just going to say the word insidious. There's a more insidious nature to asking you to plot out your future. The insidious nature of having you plan out your next 10 years and getting you in touch with your dreams, your visions, your, your hopes, your goals, is it should abundantly speak to you the limitations you currently tolerate. True? Wow. True. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I feel the wheels turning. To, so we're supposed to be able to see our limitations that we're tolerating as we're seeing our vision for the future. We should be able to also see what we're tolerating right now and break that cycle easier. Bingo. Faster. Bingo. The whole point of this exercise was for you all to wake up to your cycles, your themes, your patterns. Patterns, cycles, themes, much like the lines in a coloring book. Oftentimes as children we're taught color within the lines, right? Right? Right. What patterns? We're going to get more into this conversation in our next class because we're going to be doing our worth passport for this chapter. And you're going to be sharing 
your total observations around this whole worth timeline journey. But think about this. If patterns, if cycles, if themes have created boundaries and borders and limitations, often maintained through the act of comfort, right? Follow? Follow? Yep. Yes. Follow? When we start blowing out the stops and thinking about the next 10 years, are you going to cookie-cutter those patterns into your life? Yes. I shape them into my life. Is that what you want? Hell no. I want to out. Throw the ones out that aren't serving me. I'm not going to put those back in if I realize that I'm pinching off my line to abundance or something like that. I'm going to get rid of them when I identify awesome. them. Yeah, yeah. Drop them and get rid of them. Drop it like a bone. Awesome, right? Throw it on your compost pile. Let it decompose. Let it feed the system so that new patterns can blossom, new routines, more healthy, more robust. So, and tonight, I want to hear a few stories about what it was like to gaze into your own crystal ball. And since Cheryl and her beautiful pictures, if you haven't gone out to the water cooler yet. I was blessed to receive pictures from Cheryl, and we literally have a Rembrandt going on here. <laughs> In the years that I've been doing this, I keep saying, you've set the bar high. Don't let that uh, make anybody else a little too uncomfortable. But Cheryl, the thing I loved about your use of artistry to represent the different aspects of your life on your timeline is that artistry, I I'm making an assumption, correct me, if I am completely off base, but it really blew open the doors to the Explorer. Yeah, it did. It's really interesting how everything meshed together and I could look at one thing and see how years later I've something I would never have thought about if I wasn't taking this class, that something how it affected so many different things through the years. I've been having fun with the next 10 years because I started with the whole university and the team seekers and everything there, and then the next 10 years just blossomed from there because you add the certificate, you add the people that you meet and that you know that you're going to meet along the way and all the different skills you're gaining and everything else. So that next 10 years or 20 years will be nice and full. Sounds exciting. So for me, as I looked back, I noticed a real strong pattern. It seemed to repeat itself almost every, like, 10 years, like clockwork. Mm. First day I made my first money on my first paper out when I was nine years old. (laughs) It's a pattern of build it up, and pulled out from under me, build it up, pulled out from under me, build it up. That was the notion I had. That was my belief. My belief was, you make it, and then you lose it. (laughs) That was my belief. I make it, and then I lose it. And the pattern repeated itself every 10 years, almost to the year, and almost to the day, by clockwork for, good Lord, 40 years. And as I look at that, I've watched this, and I've been 
cognizant of it probably for the last 10 years. I've known that this is a pattern in my life. I've been aware of it. I just haven't had a clue how to stop the thing, how to quit thinking that way. And I have a little bit better idea now than I did before. And now I understand that analysis paralysis ain't going to get it done. At least I've got that far. And having been able to look at this, one of the messages that we've really embraced with our timelines is put it up there. Don't stare at the individual items too long because your eyes will cross and you might not feel real good. But when I've really been able to get back from it and just kind of let myself blur, let my eyes blur and just allow it to be all out there, I realize now that pattern may be one of my greatest teachers. Mm-hmm. It just may be one of my greatest teachers. There's a big message in there. My heart's telling me the message is, when would it be okay to just allow the flow? When is now the perfect time to receive with gratitude? When is now the time to stop rolling the boulder up the hill because at some point the boulder will get too large and it will come back down? Run! <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, this notion of this that making a living has to be a struggle, oh, my gosh. It's such a fallacy. It's just such falsehood. And, and we've been doing it for food. centuries. Think about this. Yeah. David, as you think about the centuries that have been handed down to get you to where you are today, you were taught to do what you're doing. True? Yeah, absolutely. I've tried to work your ass off and build it up and build it up. Somewhere along the way, that pattern became, but look out because the other shoe is going to drop. Somewhere along the way, that message got put in there, and I'm not sure where. It must have been before I started earning money. It must have came with the initial <laughs> programming. So that would be generational. That'd go back some time. That'd go back some, some time work like hell, but look out because you're going to lose it. And I, I believe that message was planted back in my great-grandfather when he lost the three farms because it's like, see what happens? You build it up and then it gets yanked out from underneath you. And that, that became a truth, a, a belief system that was just been carried in the DNA ever since. Our attitudes around money are formed at such impressionable ages that we're not even aware of it. And we carry those belief systems, those patterns, most of our adult lives until we wake up and go, wait a minute, I didn't sign off on this memo. <laughs> I know, I, the buck stops here. And I'm hoping that as you all plan out your 10 years or 20 years, as you start getting into the freedom that that writing instrument in your hand or whatever it is that you're using to create your timeline is magical. You can put on your timeline any damn thing you want. Do you? We're silent. <laughs> I put on mine everything. And it didn't matter what anybody else would think or say. I just put what I wanted my future to be on there. Specifically me, narcissistically or whatever you talk about it, you know. <laughs> That's right? awesome. Yeah, yeah Rick. Because I, 
my life serving other people and sacrificing my time and my money and my effort for people who didn't give a shit about themselves. So it's time for me to care about myself and do the things that I want to do and to affect humanity with my vibration that way. Bingo. Everybody's own thing. Right. It reminded me the same thing that David was saying because my grandfather and my great-grandfather, they said, if you're not sweating, you're not working hard enough. They always had everything and more than anyone else had, though. That's why I use them as an example of working my ass off, David, because they had more than anyone else. They never bitched about they didn't ever have enough. They always had plenty. Uh, They always had plenty of money. They always had plenty of time. They're always doing what they wanted to do. My grandfather picked up and bought his own farm, built it into a sweet retirement. I mean, a sweet life. And yet, but here was the thing. He was always bitching. He was always complaining the whole time. Mm. Oh, it's not going on. It all had to be a struggle. But from the outside looking in, he had a great life. It blows my mind. <laughs> this exercise and peering into the crystal ball, as you put it, has showed me that if we pay more attention to the negative patterns, then that's what we're going to keep creating. So for me, it's been an experiment of balancing the negative and the positive aspects of my past and what I can accomplish leading into the future. And I just look at all the changes I've made with being on these calls, being part of this wonderful mastermind group. And now that I'm part of a positive force of energy from positive minds, I find that it's a lot easier for me to get things done and to look forward rather than staying stuck in my own head, which has been the biggest challenge so far is getting out of my own head and saying, look, man, there's not as much of a struggle to this as you think there is. That's what I got from my timeline so far. There's a quote. I'm positive you all have heard this in some form or fashion before. Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is how powerful we really are. Correct. Our deepest fear by Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is in within us. It is not just some of us. It is in every one. And let us let our own light shine. We unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated,
from our own fear. We present automatically that which liberates others. Ladies and gentlemen, this last half of your timeline, I'm asking you to kick off the bushel baskets where you're hiding your light. I'm asking you to literally be obnoxious, bold, bodacious, crazy, ridiculous. Write things on your timeline that people will look at and think, what are you smoking? And can I have some of it? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Who dared to put some really bodacious, huge, big dream goal on their timeline? I don't know if it's bodacious and huge and big, but I did put on my timeline, I want to go up in a weather balloon one day before I leave this earth, and I would like also to do some scuba diving somewhere. I've never done that, so. Beautiful. Excellent bucket list items. What are your bucket list items, ladies and gentlemen? I want to partner with the greatest thought leaders in the world in building the largest, uh, building a multi-million dollar nonprofit. How about multi-trillion dollar nonprofit? (laughs) Hey, why not? Actually, that feels pretty good. I like how that feels. Absolutely. You might as well go all the way, David H. Might as well. Why do you think in the very beginning of the chapter, I told you, you have to write a $100 trillion check if you were to have one instance of doubt, guilt, shame, or worry? Why do you think I did that? Oh, no. I'm poor now. (laughs) I think it was to make sure that we couldn't find a way to put limits on what we're capable of. So it was impossible to put those limits on. Well, that's one facet. There's another facet. That why limit ourselves when we don't have to? Bingo. Why can't you write a $100 trillion check? Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. At the very beginning of the book, I purposefully wanted to literally blow up your sense of limitations. While it's perceived that I was going to corral you, while it's perceived that no one currently is a 100,000 trillionaire yet, while it might seem impossible, the subtlety of it is, ladies and gentlemen, think big and then think bigger. My goal for Caregiver Lifeline, which turns into a funding source for Soul Security, my goal for Soul Security is to literally have on the payroll at least 10 million people before I die, 10 million energy workers, light workers, body workers, people of service, 10 million of them, receiving a strings-free financial supportive stream of money every month so that they can just go do what they want to do. They don't have to preach about anything. They don't have to sell anything. All they have to do is what they love doing. Can you imagine unleashing onto this world hundreds of thousands, then millions, then tens of millions of people who are so free to do what they want to do? They need not charge anything. 
because they know their basics are covered. They know that having four Ferraris and five mansions and seven planes and extraordinary $50,000 diamond rings and furs and arts and blah, 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 which we have been told are measures of success for centuries, is a false prophet. I'm asking you in your timelines, dream big, then dream bigger. Who's there with me? Oh, I'm there. (laughs) I'm there. Definitely there. I think my biggest goal is the most simple one. It's doing more and more and more with less and less and less effort. That's my biggest goal. Working smarter, not harder. Oh, yeah. We'll be talking about that soon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And just to show how there I am, I joined a new group. I volunteered for a new group this morning. Oh. The name of the group is The Bodacious Women of Pahoa. Hardcore, man. You should see their cookies. <laughs> I love it. Pahoa's not going to know what hit it. <laughs> I think it'll be fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're doing a lot of work with the homeless and supplying them with a lot of food that they wouldn't have if they didn't do their work. So it's a really great organization to be with. Wow. The woman that I work with, Rick has known for over 30 years, and she has put together just a super thing because there's so many homeless and so many people that don't have enough food in Hawaii here, especially in Puna. And so she's got it all together, and she has truckloads of food delivered on the day that they distribute it in the Nanavali area. So it's a really neat organization to be with. Quite a bunch of bodacious women. (laughs) There you go, Phil. Cheryl, can I offer a question that might be a bit of a thorn on the side of the rose? Sure. As you weave your way into that group, being mindful of how is what you're doing facilitating growth or complacency? This is true. I've already thought of that. It's a tough one with, well, you know how Pune is and the whole area, too. There's so many people that are already have their, shall we say, traditions and things well put into their lifestyle and handed down from mothers to grandmothers to everything to just go and get the handouts. So, yeah, it is an interesting way to figure out which way to balance and stuff, yeah. Wow. If you haven't figured it out, ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that I am quite mindful of in my role as a guide on your journey is if you are unwilling or uninterested in being proactive, it is not my job to take care of you. 
one of the things that I created a bit of a contentiousness when I was doing my master's in social work is I blatantly pointed out that the social work industry is too parasitic. There are too many social workers, much like our medical model. There are too many doctors who need you to be sick. If you aren't sick, they're not going to make any money. Drug companies know this. If you aren't sick, they can't sell you pills. Yeah, I mean, if you're not broke and miserable and in poverty, then you don't get our grant to help you. I have always advocated that I want to be out of your life as quickly as possible. I want you to be self-sufficient. Look at being interdependent, not independent. Each and every one of you on this call tonight has skills I do not have. Each and one of you on this call tonight and each and every person listening to this show later on has skills nobody else has. Are you going to share them or are you going to sit on them? Absolutely. I want to share them. Absolutely. All for one, one for all. The thing I've learned is those people who expect a handout, that they've been trained that somebody else will caregive for them that which they could do for themselves. We've purposefully nurtured a cancer that feeds on all of us. Some of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life is look at a person who is sitting there literally starving because they have not eaten. And I have $5 that could help them eat. But in my mind, handing them a $5 bill so that they could go and buy something to eat would be like handing them a Band-Aid on a stab to the gut. That Band-Aid isn't going to heal the stab to the gut. And when I've asked people who want money from me to take care of themselves for an immediate need, I ask them, can I take you to the local shelter and get you hooked up with a caseworker? And they want none of it. I bow and say thank you for your time. I totally understand that because this woman that I was working with this morning, she was explaining to me how to do these cookies, and she says, try to make each one of them look exactly the same. I thought, well, okay. And she says, one person in the line that's getting these free food that doesn't have any food will start complaining about how much the other person got if it looked like a little bit bigger bag and everything else. She said there's so many haters and so many people that are looking down negatively and stuff in line, and it's just unbelievable. And I couldn't believe that everybody there wouldn't just be so thankful to be getting anything to eat. Bingo. That they didn't have to pay for. It was amazing. Our sense of worth has a darker side to it, right? Part of my timeline exercise with each of you is to help you maybe take just a little bit of a snapshot, a little bit of a glimpse of what might have been some of your darker moments in your life. Oh, boy, yes. And when you had that wake-up call from that darker moment, what does that do for you? Does that put you in depression? Does that mean you're going to get darker? Or does that mean you go, wait a minute, now that I see how I got into that darker moment, if I see the same set of events happening again in the future, 
am I going to choose to like replicate that same pattern so that I become darker again? Or am I going to say, whoa, break time. (laughs) (laughs) Marsha, I'm curious, now that you've had a chance to really marinate in your timeline version 1.0, and you've had a chance now to dabble with it, so you've got a kind of a 1.5 version happening as the team captain of Team Seekers. What's popping out for you as you're going through this cycle again with the timeline? Well, what really popped out for me was my pattern of giving and service. That was totally out of balance. I had to look at myself and say, wait a minute here. I can't spend my whole time doing for others when I have to take care of myself and my needs first. So I started doing intakes and really taking a look at these people and saying to myself, wait a minute here, they're so comfortable in that situation where they're getting government aid for this and government aid for that, and they look I can't believe they've got jewelry on. They look like they go to have their nails done. And I'm like, something's completely wrong here. I don't get it, right? So that really had me really take a look at the patterns that I had been doing throughout my life was always in the giving and serving of my life. And that was it. I just decided, no, no, no. I would rather help somebody to teach them how to fish, to teach them how to do something worthwhile where they can at least have a living, just like I'm doing. It just all of a sudden made so much more sense to me. I say, wait a minute here. There are some things we need. We need to have some programs implemented to help these people get off their duff, and get a better life for themselves. Because there's just a multitude of them out there, so there's probably always going to be a need here and there. But these emergency needs have gotten to the point where it's, hey, (laughs) these people, really, their emergency needs, what's going to happen next month? If we pay this bill, what happens next month? Because you're still going to be behind because we have our, set up so that we only have so much money that we can really actually give them to help them with certain things. So that really helped me to take a look at how I was conducting my life and am I following that pattern? No, I don't want to follow that pattern anymore. So you can see how this timeline exercise is a bit of a terrorist act, huh? changes a lot of your perspective because I was always thinking, well, it's better to give than to receive and you'll get back because those are blessings you'll get back. Well, to a certain extent, to a certain point, that's true. But if you're not really helping somebody to learn how to fish, how long will you keep that pattern up for? Thank you, Marcia. Excellent points there. On your timelines, as you get further into planning out your future, Are you also placing on your future relationships that are going to most likely end? Are you placing on your timelines the space to create new relationships? 
as you plan to be successful, as you plan to be lucky, as you plan to expand your ability to unconditionally love, what needs to be on your timelines? That's radically different than what has been on your timeline. The biggest thing that I've learned on my timeline, the number one thing that I put very first on one of the first entries of my future planning is I will offer support to those who ask. I will not solicit people. I will stop soliciting people. I will stop peddling. I will stop marketing. Unless you come out of the blue and say, soul, I've heard about what you're doing. How do I get involved? That's the beginning point of me going, hmm, are they ready? Any thoughts on why I made that shift? I think that when you try and market and advertise, which I'm not against, I am saying that, but when you try and market and market and market and put something out there, the people who are generally interested in it, we're going to go for it anyway. I mean, I don't have to be needed to market for a drink I want or for something I want. If someone personally invites me to do something and I feel that they really care about me, like when Marsha invited me to this, I'm more inclined to do that because I know the person, I know what they're involved in, and I know why they want me to be there, as opposed to someone just saying, join, pay me what I'm worth, you'll get paid to teach. I don't know that person, but if someone personally invites me and says, Kareem, I've been taking this course, I really like it, I think you should come along, I'm more inclined to be interested. Kareem, you just pretty much highlighted the seeds of my Play It Big program. The very basis of the Play It Big program is what? For you to reach out to six people that you, I, want to grow with. I want to grow healthier, wealthier, wiser with that person. I want to personally have that person in my life. And oh, by the way, here's a free book. I want to even remove that obstacle. I'm handing you two books, actually, because I want you to think of one other person in your life that you want to grow with. Who is that person? Give them that book, and let's talk about it. That seeds direct involvement. Yeah? Right on. You gave them the book. You gave them the gift of, more importantly, you gave them the gift of you wanting them in your life. On my timeline, as I was planning who I wanted to be in my life, and I did my first timeline literally over 10 years ago, so I'm looking back on my first original 10 years, and I put names on there that I, <laughs> like, right, I'm going to actually get to meet them. Right. Sure. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Have another one. <laughs> and to share how some of those people came into my life is nothing short of divine intervention. Serendipity, synchronicity, put me in front of those people in ways I could not have manufactured. But because I told my guides, because I told my higher self that I'm now aware that I'm going to meet the following people 
and they're going to help me do what I'm doing in ways that literally is completely different than anything else that's been out there. Blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. So I'm inviting you all to have your minds blown. (laughs) (laughs) When I think of Miriam Williamson's quote, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Ladies and gentlemen, you have in your hands right now, through your own hard work, the match and the candle. What are you going to do with it? Out of curiosity, anybody got a story of a moment in time where they got swept up in something they love doing, and it fed you to such a degree that you shined more brightly than you ever thought you could shine. You did something you never thought you could do. And you did it pretty effortlessly. And as you think back now on it, you go, wow. I didn't think starting a blog talk radio was going to be really easy. And yeah, I had some difficulty. I'm not going to lie. (laughs) I had a little bit of time where things didn't go the way I wanted. Aside from that, relatively in a couple weeks, I figured out most of what I wanted to. And I see that really starting to shine because a lot of people are enjoying it. And we got over 100 listens. So I think that blog talk expanding to that with the Entrepreneur Power Hour is definitely something I'm happy about. And I didn't expect it would be that fulfilling. Sweet. Good job, Kareem. (laughs) Well, there was a lot of times in surgery that happened, but that would happen to anyone that worked in the medical field. But I particularly remember a time that being a surfer and a very cautious surfer and safety comes first, I paddled out in the ocean when I couldn't see the waves. This was in Washington State where you have these big fog banks and stuff like that. When I got out there, it was at Westport, and when I got out there, I realized that, uh uh-oh, I'm probably going to die because the waves were like 50 feet or more and the tide was sucking so hard that I was going out to sea like a freight train. So I thought, well, I could catch like one wave maybe before I died and that would be it because I'm getting sucked out into the shipping lane See, when you get past the point. <laughs> Everybody does when they get past there. So... As I caught the wave I was going to catch, I figured it's the last wave I'm going to catch in my life. It's going to be good. Catch the biggest one I can. As I caught it, the fog lifted. At the time, I thought, yeah, the wave is probably like 20 feet. And I could see my nephew standing on the beach, way a little speck of dude standing on the beach there, and I kicked off the wave. I knew I couldn't come in, and I got sucked out into the shipping lane, like right about a mile out to sea, and all of a sudden, I was like, turning purple, and all of a sudden I thought, well, you know, if the tide changes, I could probably swim in a little bit, maybe climb up on the jetty, and I might live. The tide changed a little bit. I climbed up on the jetty, and I walked back on the jetty. I was purple, like it was the dumbest thing I ever did, and I came back on the shore. My nephew was so excited. He goes, the wave that you caught was so huge, it was eight times over your head. 
Wow. But I never realized that I had it in me to do that, and I never realized that I had enough in me to not, like, give up and just say, well, I'm going to die. I'm purple now. <laughs> I was really cold. Yeah, I had hypothermia, and I was already in the crazed state because I've been there before, so just reminded me of that. So obviously you've got something big to go accomplish yet because you are still here. <laughs> you have survived that. You have survived being struck by lightning. You survived this jerk called Soul Dancer and this maniac class. Something's going on. <laughs> oh, I never considered <laughs> But I did get hit by lightning twice, and I never considered that. Like, at first I thought it was something, but now I realize, eh. It's just some experience you go through, something like that. It's no big deal. You get over it. Okay, I love it. Some light workers spend a few months to go through attunements. No, no. Rick Rodriguez has to be struck by lightning for his attunements. Got it. All righty <laughs> then. <laughs> That's his style. <laughs> Very funny. Thank Nothing you. Nothing low-key mm-hmm. for this man. No, not at all. No. Nope. <laughs> no, I've never been low-key. But I appreciate this class, and it's opened up my mind to a lot of different things, and mostly the wrong thinking that I've been doing most of my life. Like, I've been always backwards. You have to work really hard to get something. No, you don't. You have to be happy, and you have to feel loved. And once you're like that, then everything else comes. This class is really teaching me that. Pounded it in. So thank you for that. Mahalo. A person who has a genuine smile on their face. Not a smile that's painted on there because that's what society expects. Not a smile that's painted on there because we're too damn afraid of being anything less than just smiling. It's a good front. I'm talking about a smile that runs to the core of your being. It's a smile that when another person sees my smile like that, it melts them. That, ladies and gentlemen, is something I put on my timeline every day. A smile. A genuine smile. And if it's not coming from well, the inside out... I have to out, say, so that your Pay Me What I'm Worth page, where you're sitting on the beach with that big, huge smile on your face, <laughs> melts me every time. <laughs> I think my aha tonight was that I am so looking forward to... Filling my timeline for the future and really enjoying myself with it because I'm going to get to choose who do I want to come on this journey with me. That to me is exciting and I'm going to put in all the places that I want to go, all the people that I want to be with, especially my family, family reunions. I'm just going to fill it up with everything that I have always desired that I haven't accomplished yet, and that's what it's going to be on my timeline. Yum. A timeline that's also a vision board. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) As you're gazing into your crystal balls, at this stage, or just anything that you've gotten from tonight? What piece of popcorn popped tonight? That we have to embrace ourselves. Sometimes I forget to shine the light on myself. If I don't do that, other people aren't going to do that as well. But if I'm able to shine the light on myself and show others that I'm a happy dude, 
then they'll be interested in not only what I'm doing, but me initially. They'll want to hang out. Yeah, totally. Yum, Kareem. Mahalo. For me, I got a whole new lesson about that notion from Marianne Williamson about playing small. I realized what playing big means for me. It means doing the things I really love to do that are quirky and, and all David, <laughs> and allowing that to be more than enough to share and do it in a very consistent daily. Woohoo! David quirky. No. Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> What really popped for me is, maybe what I'm worth keeps reminding me over and over again is that, for me, it's not really the effort that you put out. It's really like, I don't remember who said it, but I'm really working on a personal vibrational offering to the universe. And so I'm really working on myself, my personal vibration, the essence of my soul, so to speak. It just keeps reminding me that over and over again that, Quit going outside of yourself to try to grasp at things that are illusions when you can just go inside and work on yourself and your own vibration and align your vibration with receiving. <laughs> yeah. Bingo. Right? Bingo. Bingo. I'm getting her. So Rick is being his own piano tuner. Nice. Nice. Time to close this class. What did you get out of this show? We truly want to know. Simply post in the comment box at the bottom of this page. After hearing so many people experience so many ahas, I wonder, are you ready to take this class yourself? We start new classes each time we have 12 or more people ready to go. You're listening to Marcia Sortino, Team Seekers, Team Captain. Get in touch to learn how to become one of Pay Me What I'm Worth's paid instructors today. And remember, before you go, think about who else would enjoy our classes. Post this show on your social networking sites to help more people enjoy some weekly wit and wisdom. Aloha. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.